pretty professional. Oh. Am I supposed to be counting? Yeah, to start one if you like. <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> there goes that professional. <laughs> well, it lasted so long. And welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode number 22, in which we will be discussing two very interesting topics. First of all, set in time or written in time. What's your favourite? And then two books we're discussing in the second half are 84 Charing Cross Road by Helen Hanf and Howard's End is on the Landing by Susan Hill, which are both books about the experience of reading and are autobiographical i think i'm right in saying that yes yeah yeah so simon how are you what are you reading what's going on um i'm really good thanks i am currently in my friend marley's house looking after her cat hi marley she listens to the podcast hope you don't mind me turning your dining room table into a little studio (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah so i have been mostly sitting around reading and the book i'm reading is arnold bennett's the old wife's tale which ah. I might have mentioned last time, I can't remember, um, as something I was going to read soon, which um, I am very much enjoying, but it's very long, and I've got to read it for book group on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 600-odd pages and quite small font. And it, it feels like I'm reading about these... This is basically, it's just a tale of two sisters, and I feel like I'm reading about it in real time. <laughs> it's like, it's... <laughs> It's so detailed that I feel like I feel like it's taken me thirty years to read about Constance getting to the age of thirty, but, but um, it's a, it's very immersive. Like he doesn't skimp on detail, so um, everything is there, every every emotion, every object, every thought, um, and you can just sort of wallow in it. it reminded, well, not that I read London belongs to you, but um, no, London belongs to me, whichever one is. <laughs> um, but the way you described it, it feels a bit like it might be like that. Just getting into that world then is this is this a good thing or a bad thing um i think it's a good thing it's it's um there's times where it's a a bit tiring (laughs) and i can can sort of see why virginia wolf et al decided to like rebel against it but um but at the same time it's nice to do it every now and then it's just there's absolutely nothing impressionistic about it's nothing like is left to the to the readers sort of to fill in gaps (laughs) he feels in every gap But, but in, he writes really well and often quite wittily, which I hadn't realised. Um, but yes, I wouldn't want to read one every month, but I'm quite enjoying this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you? What are you reading? Um, well, actually, last night I finished the second book in the Cowslip Chronicles by Elizabeth Jane Howard, which I spoke about last time, I think. And the time before. And, <laughs> yes, I mean, I just can't stop talking about it. So that one was called Marking Time. And, um, well, I mean, I had a terrible time at the end. I was feeling very tearful. Um, so, yeah, now I'm looking forward to the next one very much. I'm actually going to my mum's tomorrow to pick up the next one. Um <laughs> she's not finished yet, so I was like, Mom, you need to finish tonight because I need to get the other one. Well, my mum was listening to our last episode and huh? and also apparently has read and enjoyed them and is bringing them to me in Oxford next week to read. So there you go. <laughs> I'm going to love them. <laughs> so much pressure. But I, I just know that you will. So I've just finished that and then um I'm not entirely sure what I'm gonna read next. I've I've signed up for a master's degree next year, so I need to sort of get reading on that. Um, 
and I've got lots of scary looking books to read so <laughs> that'll, that'll be the next phase I've got to read A Tale of Two Cities I, never, I haven't read that one no neither have I and uh, I don't feel particularly compelled to do so but <laughs> it's on the reading list so it's got to be done so I'll get cracking on that I think well, yeah. before we get started I have two apologies to give Okay. Um, the first is to Faith, who I think, um, oh. coincidentally, rather than anything else, also suggested child narrators um, as a topic, which we did last time. And my yeah. second is to you, Rachel, for, for being sort of sa- <laughs> sassing you so rudely in my blog post of accompanying <laughs> last week's episode. <laughs> Do you accept my apology? <laughs> So it wasn't required. I was laughing away reading it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is so me. <laughs> I am the most useless podcast partner in the world. <laughs> You're very charming. People, for people listening, I am ter- I'm the most disorganised person. Um, <laughs> I'm very organised at work, but outside of work, everything's gone. <laughs> I apologise profusely for every podcast Simon calls me, and I'm like, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> Except <laughs> today, where you had made notes. Well, I wouldn't call them notes, but yeah, I'd briefly thought. (laughs) Well, and indeed, uh, the first half um, was your suggestion, was it not? Yes, it was, Simon. Yes, it was. (laughs) Why don't you get us started then? Okay, well, I thought about this because um, it's actually quite an interesting one for me, because a few years ago, if you'd have asked me, do you read historical novels, I would have said categorically, no, I do not because I didn't like them and I preferred to read books set when they were, you know, in a time when they were written rather than books that were pretending to be set in a different time. But actually, over the last few years, I've read a lot of historical novels and my opinion on them has changed significantly. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I think it's really interesting to talk about this and to think about it and to think about what sort of historical novels work well. Um, and also, what would we term as a historical novel? Because I think the actual terminology here is is quite specific. I think historical novels tend to be the ones that are very much about the period in time, mm. such as, I don't know, like Philippa Gregory, that sort of thing, you know, all these Tudory sorts of things. Mm. And then you've also just got novels that happen to be set in the past that you don't necessarily think about as being historical novels because the main thrust of the story isn't about the time period. Okay. What sort of what sort of novels are you thinking of there? So for, I would think, for example, um, uh, <laughs> Possession, for example, by mm. A.S. Byatt, which is one of my favourite novels. It's set half in the modern age, half in the Victorian period, but it's not about the period. It's about a love story. Like it's obviously the period is important and it's very well described, but it's the main thrust of the plot is a love story. It could have been set any time; it would still be a love story. Um, and the same with I've read a couple of books set during World War One and things like that. And yes, World War One or World War Two is like going on in the background, but it's very much about the relationship between the people. Um, and it's you get a sense of the place and the time period, but it's not like thrown in your face. Whereas I feel like with historical novels, they're very much based around we're set during this period and everything's very described and it's everything's historically very accurate and it's the history is the predominant feature of, of the story, if you see what I mean. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does make sense. Um, I think there's probably a lot of novels where it might fall between the two at different times or something, but I see, yeah. definitely see what you mean. Um, 
Well, to, to, to start from my perspective, I think I'm still in the phase of if someone says, do you like historical novels? I would say no. <laughs> um, and there are doubtless exceptions that, that prove that rule. But um, I, as, for, as for what counts as a historical novel, um, for some reason, I, I have less of an issue with novels set maybe like in the Victorian period if they were written in the early part of the 20th century or something, if that makes sense. So something like Thank Heaven Fasting by Ian Delafield that I think is set in the late Victorian period and written in the early 20th century. Um, that yes. I'm, that I'm fine with. <laughs> um, whereas now if I was to read, pick up a book and saw it was set in the Victorian period, I probably wouldn't want to read it. Um, and maybe that's just because if something's written now that um, obviously I'm reading it now and I, I can feel the same sort of distance that the author is feeling. Whereas if it's, if they're both distant dates, both the date of publication and the date it's set, then I'm less aware of the sort of nuances between the two or something. And do you think perhaps it's got something to do with the fact that an author writing the 1930s about the 1880s may well have been alive then? That certainly helps. I think it's certainly, um, certainly, yeah, changes the way that they are writing about it. If they're writing about, you know, the time they were a child or, yeah. or things they've heard about from their parents. I, I think in general, the further we get from a period, the more it's likely to be stereotyped. seems like a very critical term. But, um, I, I think that, yeah, people now writing about the Victorian period will be like, Victorians are straight-laced, Victorians, you know, were very repressed, blah, blah, blah. That's the sort of novel I'll write. Um, I mean, and thank heaven fasting is, is, I guess, an example of that as well, actually. But, um, but the nearer people are to a time, particularly if they're writing about their own time, I think they're, they're more likely to see the great sort of sweep of possibility in that period, because obviously not all Victorians are straight-laced and not all, you know, not even all societies, I suspect, were all that straight-laced. Um, and I think also what's, what's nice about books that, that are written, were written at that time is you don't have those, really obvious crowbarred in references yes, to because yeah. <laughs> to them they're just un- they're just unconscious but I find that more clumsily written novels that are set in the past are often it's like oh well you know because um we can't vote did I mention that <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, FYI and, um, <laughs> no like we can't work and we can't go to university and it's like they're having all it that they'll be having conversations where they'll mention things like that and you're like no one would have uh, talked about that in passing you know it's unnecessary you know, oh, you know isn't it awful that we're so repressed yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have thought that they wouldn't have said that so it's i mean i'm sure maybe some people would have done but not an average person at the dinner table so it's those sort of clumsy i suppose anachronisms really that bother me in books that feel like they have to keep hitting you around the head with the fact that they're set during that time it's like yeah we get it we know <laughs> we, read, we read the blurb but, um I, see, I find the same thing with the idea that um in books written now about the past the good people are always the ones who agree with what we agree with now yeah so the one that was really glaring with was the health by Catherine Stockett where of course we all agree now that, well, hopefully we all agree now that racism is wrong and um, there were many things wrong with society that she was writing about in The Help. But it just seemed so uh, annoying that all the people who were otherwise unpleasant were also racist and everyone, all the people who were otherwise nice were not racist and had very advanced views for the time. Yeah. Um, similarly, I guess, yeah, with, with suffrage, there's 
it's always the the um the nice characters who are pro universal suffrage um and i i think it would just be more interesting if you had um characters who were generally nice but because they live when they lived had flawed views on those sorts of issues um that'd be more realistic yeah um and in fact em delafield does that in i think it's mrs harter has a storyline about about whether or not women should have the vote and that and there's plenty of people in that who are otherwise nice who just think oh actually no women probably shouldn't have the vote um but both male and female characters um and i mean that wasn't ian delafield's view and to an extent she was highlighting that at the time anyway but but if it was written now i feel like it would you know again all the nice people would have said yes all the nasty people would have said no <laughs> yeah no exactly well, i think that's a real danger is is pushing our viewpoints onto people in the past and falling for stereotypes and always wanting to create somebody who like rails against their time yes um, and without actually really thinking well how many people would have had the opportunity or the thought processes to do that you know and just because it feels wrong to us doesn't mean it felt wrong to people then so um i think that's and you know that's quite obvious to us now when we when we read books that are written and set in the past certainly when i read people like virginia wolf um oh what's her name stella gibbons um, people like that, people writing in the 20s and 30s and their comments about Jewish people, I always find really jarring mm-hmm. and upsetting. And then I have to remember, oh, you know, that's it's, that's just what was common thought at the time. You know, you can't say, well, you're a bad person because you thought that. Whereas if somebody nowadays was writing um, about the 1930s, the person talking about Jewish people in that way would be the villain of the piece. Yeah, and, and we don't know what views are commonly held now will be considered abhorrent by future generations. Right. And I'm sure there are views that everyone thinks now is perfectly acceptable that, yeah, in 30, 40 years' time, we'll, they'll be horrified that anyone would have thought it. Yeah. Um, I think even more recently, there's a there's a danger that a period will just become one sort of thing when it's written about. Like, even, like, the 80s, I think people writing about the 80s now, it's all about Thatcherism, or it's all about you know, um, capitalism or something, thinking about um, the line of beauty in Hollinghurst is all, is all the, about the sort of like factorist politics and consumerism and things. And I'm sure for plenty of people living in the 80s, life was pretty, you know, had nothing to do with that rather than the fact that she was prime minister for some of it and they got on with their ordinary lives otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I think that is the real danger of writing about a period in the past that even if you've lived through it, I think there is that need once we've moved away from the period of time to categorise that time or mm-hmm. that time with one particular narrative. And if you're living through it, you don't see it in that way. So it feels much less um, f- fictionalised in a way mm-hmm. if just writing about a time that's, that's happening. And yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of books nowadays that are written by people like Alan Hollinghurst and Sadie Smith, etc., who have written about the recent past. But they're writing about the recent past in a way that certainly I don't necessarily recognise, and I've lived through it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like, well, you know, I was alive briefly in the 1980s, <laughs> um, but even in like the 90s, I don't remember my parents talking about things that they apparently everyone was talking about and things like that. You know, I don't think it's necessarily a realistic perception of life for people who lived through it. And even um, something like, I really loved um, The Misinterpretation of Tara Jupp by Eva Rice, um, which is really fun, about like, a young girl who becomes a pop star. And I can't remember if it's the 50s or 60s, but um, whichever one, it's it's so 
try yeah it's a really good book but it's so like here is the music scene of the whatever period it was um in and i guess because she's focusing it through a girl who wants to be a pop star at least she has a reason to be transfixed by that by that world it's not like you know retired couple in my home county is being transfixed with the 50s music scene or something but yeah. um but yeah i i i think always find it more interesting to see the nuance of just how ordinary people live their lives at any different time yeah and I, I, sorry go ahead no you go <laughs> I, I have nothing to say actually <laughs> <laughs> um i think so for me what really works with um books that are written now but set in the past is that you do have that overview of it that perhaps people didn't have when they were living through it and you can pick out defining features and you can think about well what did this age mean or how does this age fit into history in a way that people living in a time can't um which can give it a really interesting perspective so for example books written um set during the 1930s 40s now can can have a look and and think about well where did that build up of terror and horror come from how did that the war happen to be whereas if you read read something written in the 1930s often you can't sense any type of um conflict going on beneath the surface Mm -hmm. uh, at all so the kind of you don't necessarily get the reality of things from reading books at the time um that you would from a book a modern book set in the past but then again at the same time people would say well that's our perception of that time and actually the more truthful perception is that at the time people maybe were blind to what was going on so I mean I suppose it goes both ways but I find it quite interesting to see also from a historic historicist perspective um, to see how we interpret the past compared to how people in the past interpreted their time yeah, I think there are two sides that come because I, I do love reading, well, I find it really interesting to read books written during a war, the First World War or Second World War, where they didn't know how it was going to end. I think it might might be A House in the Country by Jocelyn Playfair or, or another another Persephone that I've read that yeah, where... Right, um, that is. Yeah, is that, is that published during the war as well? Where you just, it's got, it's fraught with that whole, just that sort of, that quite literal uncertainty and that they just don't know how it's going to end. Um which now I think because we obviously know the results of those wars, um, it's, yeah, it's maybe less tension or just this, or even just because the reader knows how it's going to end and the author knows how it's going to end, you don't get the same, um, yeah, the same sort of anxiety from the characters coming across, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I like what you said about, yeah, about the overview of the past giving us a greater sense of um i think it's particularly, particularly maybe with real character real people in in novels that you have that chance for the research to have happened that wouldn't happen at the time i'm thinking um pat barker's regeneration um, yeah. series well i've only read the first one actually but um but, but that one where no one at the time would have been able to write a novel about um sassoon and whoever whoever else is there i can't remember but but looking back she can do the research and she can put this novel together that not only tells you about these people but also gives a a sense of the the time it's those cases where research is done where it isn't too um it's not gratuitous it's not showing off it's it's needed for the narrative and it works then in those ideal cases i think possession is another good example um where it can just really work um, in a way that wouldn't have happened at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I think it's a fine art. And I think there are a lot of books that are written with the history kind of just being shoehorned in at every opportunity. And actually, I don't necessarily think always that writers think about whether the, the setting is actually integral or necessary to the plot that they're writing. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, okay, so you want to set something during the war or whatever, but then often it's just falling back on lazy stereotypes, um, which, especially if you know a lot about the period, it's quite easy to be like, oh, actually, no, that wouldn't have happened. Or mm-hmm. I don't really, Someone who does, I think, does it really well is Sarah Waters. She, wear, she um, wears her research very lightly. Yeah, she was on my list of someone um, who did it well, we, and obviously we talked about her not long ago. But, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I think she definitely does. And um, in fact, yes, the anachronism thing particularly comes across as dialogue, I think. Yes. Um, if something's written during time, then, then of course the dialogue's going to be time appropriate. <laughs> um, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, it can often feel quite jarring. Um, I was reading... Um, when we were alive, I see Jay Fisher recently. I think that's what it's called. And um, there's various different streams in it, but one set is one lot is set in the 30s, and the dialogue there just felt exactly like a modern day teenager. Like it was well, they probably used things like like. <laughs> um, it was. Um, it really didn't feel for a moment like it was in the 30s, and that was a shame. But, but having said that, there's sometimes I read a novel from the past set set when it it was written and think if I'd seen that in a recent novel I'd have thought oh that's that's wrong but in fact I'm just wrong about when I think certain words or expressions came into being and of course I can think of no examples (laughs) (laughs) so but I've come across that myself before in books where I've been like oh really people did say that then okay um, I should sort of make a note of those things, actually, because it might come in useful. But... You should contact the OED. They're always looking for anti-datings. <laughs> oh, well, there we are. <laughs> you next time. Um, I have the pride of having um, antedated the... Well, it's not yet in there, but finding an older um, an example of the term bedworthy than is currently in the OED. Bedworthy meaning worthy of taking to bed. <laughs> well. It's in a Stella Givens novel in 1933, and the earliest in the early is 1936. So there's my my legacy to history. Um, Will you get credited for this? Um, Absolutely not, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Are there any time periods that, if you're looking for a bookshop and you see it set in that particular period, that particularly do or particularly don't um, make you want to read it? I would never want to read something set during the medieval period. <laughs> you took or, the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, two times. That, for me, apart from Wolf Hall, which is a, a wonderful, glowing exception, um, because it, she hasn't tried to sound like ye olde medieval person. <laughs> um, it sounds so fresh and so wonderful, and it should feel wrong, but it doesn't, and I don't really understand why. She is like an anomaly that is... <laughs> I can't even categorise. She's just amazing. But, um, yes, like the minute I see something set during those periods, I just think, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, it's not because I don't find that period in time interesting, because I do. Um, I just don't think we have enough um, texts from that time to be able to realistically recreate the voice. And when people do try to recreate the voice of that time, it just feels wrong. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Um, and I think partly because all the texts we do have from medieval English or something, there's there's not that much 
attempt to like make naturalistic dialogue at the moment. Yeah. You know, like no, Chaucer's not saying this is exactly what people spoke like. <laughs> um, so I think when people, we just don't have the evidence of how people spoke. And I just, I don't know, it always just feels like a novelization of Blackadder or something, the first series, <laughs> like medieval peasants. I don't know, it just... It feels very stereotyped. Yeah. And very, you know, this is, it's either about rich people um, who were all like having sex with each other because that's obviously all that people did. <laughs> Or it's like, you know, grinding poverty and, again, people are all just sleeping with each other because that's what everyone did. And it all seems to be reduced down to their sex lives and that's it. Um, and I just find that really reductive. Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't think I'd be particularly interested in reading a historical novel set before 1800, really. I just, no. And, again, it's not entirely because I don't find that period of history interesting, although it's not the period of history I find most interesting, which unsurprisingly is between the world wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know, it always just, it, uh, perhaps there are great examples of, well, I, one day I may read Wolfhall, but, <laughs> but, um, it is wonderful, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading, uh, The Middle Window by Elizabeth Googe a while ago, um, yeah. which, I really enjoyed, although I've subsequently learned that everyone who likes Elizabeth Goose says it's her worst book and I should read her other ones because it's the only one I've read by her. But that's, the first half was set in whenever it was written. And then the second half, which I had not realized when I started, is set during the Jacobite Revolution or Uprising, whatever it's called. Um, which, yes, immediately my interest in it was halved, but <laughs> <laughs> I got to the end, but I was like, oh, I'll just go back to the, go back to the 30s or 40s or 50s or whenever it was written. I can't remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, certainly if a book's set in the Victorian period or the 1920s, 30s, etc., I'm more than happy to give it a go. Um, that, I Normally they will check before I want to read it. That I'm, I always check inside and check that they have um, got an authentic voice. If they haven't, then I don't want to read it. Yeah. I, think... I just don't think that's skillful, otherwise what's the point? Yeah. Um... And something I will read is, is, in fact, like The Old Wives' Tale, where it's because a building's romance, it does cover huge periods of time, and obviously they're going to start in the past. Yeah. Um, that I feel more comfortable with, particularly, I guess, because generally the author will be writing maybe over the course of their lifetime or maybe over the course of their parents' lifetime and their lifetime, so it's not just as wild stab in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like we're basically... We're, if we, we don't like it if there's not if there's been no research we don't like it if there's too much research evidence so it's, <laughs> we're quite hard to please <laughs> I think you know for me if I want to read about a particular period of history I'd rather just read a history book I don't necessarily want to read a book that's going to recreate every single minute detail of daily life in that period yeah, yeah. I want to read a good story first and foremost if it happens to be set during an interesting period of history, great. But I don't want that to be the first and foremost thing I'm reading about. Yeah, and I think I think my exception, which hasn't come up that often in my reading um, experience, would be a novelization of a real person, which in fact is something that my mother has written. So, um, oh. to to be published, hopefully one point at some point in the future. Any listing publishers, give Anne Thomas an email. <laughs> um, but that's um, that's about a real person who's in fact a relative of mine. Um, okay. Um, who embezzled and went to prison. So, you know, wow. proud, proud times. But, um, <laughs> but obviously, if, you talk, if it's a novel about a real person, then it obviously has to be set when they were around. And I find that would be a great justification for writing a novel about the past. Whereas, if you're going to write about a group of people, I don't see 
really why you need to set it in the past if they're just all made up anyway. Yeah. Unless, of course, the time period is necessary for the plot. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. In which case, fine. And I can only imagine the advent of the internet and the mobile phone has made plotting much harder for people now. Um, you it must be much harder to do a murder mystery or a golden age style murder mystery with mobile phones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just can't do it. Yeah, that's why so many TV dramas just forget they exist. Or you said to deliver news in person. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are we doing for time? Have you got, have you got more? Have you got more recommendations for historical novels before we close this part? Um. Well. Not any that I haven't mentioned in previous podcasts, I don't think. Nothing that I've read recently, apart from this Cazalet series is wonderful. That's set in the 30s and 40s, um, which is very, like, again, wears it very lightly. It just feels very much like I'm just in the time, but I'm not having it whacked around my, I'm not being whacked around the head with it. Um, yeah, that's a fantastic recent example. I can't think of anything else that I haven't already mentioned. So I think the only one I finish with um i've already mentioned the misinterpretation of tara jet by Eva rice but her earlier novel called oh, do you know what it's called no no idea. <laughs> um you can put it oh, the... The, the last out of keeping secrets ah. okay um, she does great titles but they're not that easy to remember <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's set in i think maybe the 30s maybe a bit later but um it's, it feels very inspired by the Mitfords and um, I Catch the Castle and those sorts of lovely books and does it really well. So I think she is a, um, someone who does look at early in the 20th century um, and, and does it in a very winning and charming and lovely way. So I'd recommend. You'd love her. I think you should read her. Okay. I have heard of that book, so I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, but yes, ultimately, I would choose a novel set during the period rather than a historical novel. And you? <laughs> Yeah, I think reluctantly I would say the same, but I do, I am very much more open to reading novels set during the past now, and I mean, often I will enjoy a book set in the Victorian period more than I'll enjoy a Victorian novel, just because Victorian novels tend to go on for so long. True, they are very different beasts, aren't they? You, you, there's not that many slight Victorian novels around. <laughs> no. Um, hmm. Yeah, okay. So, um, seamlessly moving on to our next um, novel... Uh, discussion which aren't novels they're autobiographies so obviously both written during the period in which they are set nice. um yeah thanks <laughs> um, 84 charcross road is actually written during the war isn't it because she was sending parcels to um the bookshop was she not she was yes i can't remember quite how when she starts and when she finishes writing but it certainly encompasses the war yeah and howard's end is on the landing for those of you who haven't read it is contemporary, so it was published five or so years ago, I think. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, so not that long. Um, do you want to start on this one? Sure. So um, I'll just give a quick intro um, to... Well, I'll do both of them, why not? Um, so 84 Charing Cross Road was letters written by Helen Hanth to Frank Doyle of Marks & Co, is it? A bookshop in Charing Cross Road, um, which sadly is now a pizza hut. But <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she was looking for a certain books um and found his advertisement somewhere um and just instead of you know writing to someone who was in new york where she was uh decided to write to london to ask for the books there and thus set up a correspondence that went over many years where she would request books he'd send them and then they started talking about their own lives as well alongside that 
Um, and how it ended on the landing is Susan Hill's, um, basically a sort of piano reading, I guess, where she's, um, she, she frames it as she has this idea to only read from her own shelves for a year, um, rather than, you know, getting new books or going to the library or whatever. Um, that's not quite how the book actually pans out, because she mostly just, <laughs> is just writing about books and she's liked, authors she's met, um, anecdotes and, and various different things. It's sort of a, it's basically like a series of blog posts essentially, um, all about books and authors. Um, and I will, yeah, I'll start talking about 84 Jane Cross Road, why not? So I read that, um, on a beach in Cornwall actually, um, maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, probably longer actually. And I found it such an, un- it was such an unusual premise. I mean, it was, it really happened. So, you know, thank goodness. But it, it, it seemed so unlikely that this is the way she chose to get these books. And it was made such entertaining reading. I just love reading about these, um, very different people because she, she's got this great sort of witty tone where she's quite outlandish and she's, you know, she, very early on, she's accusing him of all sorts of things and, you know, mock indignance and all that sort of thing. Whereas he is, he starts off being very respectful, even in the face of this and very you know, <laughs> businesslike and very how people might imagine a British person to be, if they, you know, stereotypically, I guess. Um, and gradually she wears him down and, and it's, it's, it is a sort of lovely friendship that neither of them lose those traits because she maintains her sort of bombastic nature and he maintains his quite, you know, gentlemanly quiet, but also, you know, telling, talking about his life, talking about hardships during war, all that sort of thing. Um, and just a lovely story of how people are brought together by love of books, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, before, before we talk more about how it's end, what, what are your thoughts about 84 Characross Road? Well, I just think it's utterly charming. I actually watched the film first. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people come to the book through the film, um, which I think, um, is Anne Bancroft dead now? Oh, she might be, yes. Um, so it's Anne Bancroft and I can't remember the, and, oh, is it not, um, what's his face? <laughs> what is his face? Um, I can't think of his name, but he's very famous. Um, is it Ralph Richardson? No. I think it's, um, you know, um, I'm looking it up, I'm looking it up. <laughs> Who plays Hannibal Lecter? Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. I'm it is, sure it is Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's wonderful and I remember watching that and thinking oh you know this can't possibly be real like and then I googled it and I was like oh it was a real story and then I found the book and I just think it's so wonderful how these two people across two different sides of the world and at the time um Helen Hampshire didn't have any money she was this jobbing writer and um she would send off these lists of I just love the idea of her sending off these lists of books and it's just the wonderful old-fashionedness of it and him being receiving this letter and then having to go and check his stock and then sort of waiting for them to come in. And um, then over time, them having this exchange about their lives and um, and then gradually as the war starts and things, it's like finding she is really touched by how difficult it is for him to get hold of things and she sends over things for him and his family. And it is this kind of like a pen pal relationship, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking while I was reading it, like, I don't understand why you can't just go and visit him. Um, but it's, you know, it cost a fortune, obviously. Um, and when she does finally go over and see him, it's just wonderful. And I just think it's such a, a wonderful way, like you say, of showing how an interest in literature and books in particular, and actually in the objects, because Helen Hunt is not just, she doesn't just want the books, 
for the story. She wants specific editions of the books because mm. she likes yeah. those copies and she loves old books and she loves the feel of them. And um, it's about that that kind of love and that passion that brings them together because he completely understands what she's talking about and vice versa. Um, and it is also a way of kind of reaching out to somebody and making a connection and what could should have just been a business-like relationship um, is gradually blossoms into this really, really meaningful friendship that even though they only meet each other once, I think. Um, yes, I thought they hadn't met at all, but um, it's been a while since I've they met. So I'm not sure. You'd be lying. I don't want to say because I think maybe they don't actually end up meeting and then I won't say why, but... Um, <laughs> I, I felt like she just went twice, but maybe I, it's been a while since I read it. And I might be confused with the film, I'm not sure. Oh. Um, I don't think the film's 100% um, accurate to the book. Mm. And it's a brave idea to make a film about people who um, are writing letters to each other. because yeah. It yes. seems like it shouldn't work, but it really does. I think they beef up the, the family related, the family a lot more. Mm. But it's, it is really interesting as well from a going back to our previous discussion um the setting and the period and understanding um seeing life in new york during that time and then seeing what life was like in london for the letters coming back and how actually very different america and and england were at the time i think nowadays our cultures are really quite similar um but then it was you know completely different way of life and also what's really interesting as well as you see how affected england were by the war and the start and how completely unaffected america was mm-hmm. um so there's loads there's loads in it it's a fantastic book yeah i um i do love the way she writes about the books that she wants because it is just i can't wish one it is early on that she asked for that he sends her like a edited version or something and she's outraged <laughs> demands that she gets a better version of it um, and yes, in terms of her tastes in books, it's quite dissimilar uh, to mine because I think she she gets very few fiction works. So she's much more interested in non-fiction, if I recall correctly. Um, although I believe Frinchal Lady is one of the books that she gets, so that that was nice. Um, but yeah, there's the way that she writes about books as objects, as you say. Um, that's that's really lovely. Even if we don't. Get, don't get that much of sort of insight into I mean she's not writing reviews she's not you know no. re- that sort of thing um, and in some ways I, I think I recall incorrectly to say we don't yeah she's writing more about what she thinks is the book subjects and occasional throwaway lines about what she thinks about the content and he doesn't particularly say what he's reading or books he loves or anything like that but somehow there's still there's enough there that you can sense that they both just really love books and reading and I, it, it, I don't know, any any sort of fiction or non-fiction about a, a odd couple who, I mean, obviously not a romantic couple, but just an odd couple whose friendship shouldn't work on paper, but it really does, that's always very winning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, he's a lot older than her, and, you know, he obviously is much more reserved than she is, and initially that relationship is very awkward for him, and he it, it takes him a while to warm up, as you said. Which is adorable, I love it. <laughs> And you could just imagine him being like, oh, this lady keeps writing to me. Um, you know, I've, I've got to... And then gradually it's like, oh, he's just starting to find it charming rather than annoying. <laughs> and because I can't imagine that she had many business-like relationships. <laughs> she didn't seem to really allow that as an option. <laughs> My friend. <laughs> Have you read much else by him? Um, no, I haven't actually. I think I did read the sequel, but I can't remember much about it now. Um, yeah, the Duchess of Bloomsbury Street is, I think it's called. Um, I found it 
I enjoyed that a lot less, actually. Yeah. But, um, so they're always published together, whereas I actually think a book called Q's Legacy is the one that um, would make more sense to publish with it. Which um, so it's also about Q being Arthur Quillacooch, who was, I think the reason she wrote to him in the first place was looking for some of something by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically, the book Q's Legacy is essentially a retrospective of that friendship and then what happens afterwards. So she's talk, she talks about the success of the book and then going to see a stage version of it and being interviewed and all sorts of things. So it's essentially the aftermath of the success of 84 Charing Cross Road as a book. Okay. Um, so it's really interesting to read. Um, and again, she's traveling around London and, and um, yes, <laughs> it's, yeah, which, which is what she's doing in Duchess of Bloom Street. But that one I found her quite annoying, whereas Q's Legacy I find her uh, much more endearing. And I've also read um, oh, Letters from New York, um, where she just basically writes about the people living in her flat um, block, her apartment block. Um, and I can't remember where she's writing it from. For rather which publication, but it's essentially a fortnightly or something column, and you get to know all these um, characters in her in her building and how they deal with like I've heard there's various annoyances about pets or about views or all these sorts of minutiae of living in New York in, in that time, which is um, I'm sure exaggerated because she had that sort of writing style, but but all this really enjoyable, really fun um, and entertaining, and I think again makes a nice companion piece. Um, I think she basically, yeah, all, all her different memoirs and non-fiction and essays and letters and things build up this really interesting composite picture of, of her life and life at that time. Yeah, and she's a very engaging writer as well. Yes. And, you get, and she, you know, she is very humorous and she sees um, the real funny side of life. And also because she's not a privileged person as well, it's it's really nice to read about somebody who is struggling to pay the bills but who chooses to put books first i love that yes that's nice yes you'd rather get new books than eat (laughs) my chief recollection actually from letter from new york is 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 something that really does date it to the period it was written in which i believe was the late 70s or early 80s um where she's going to a fancy event so she gets she decides to go and buy a black velvet pantsuit (laughs) oh lovely (laughs) (laughs) that won't date that's a classic for the for the ages but um so, we have certainly agreed that we love that one. What are your thoughts on how it ends on the landing? Well, Simon, I think you know that this is not a <laughs> book that I enjoyed. And I remember writing a scathing review of it at the time when it came out. Um, that's how long I've been blogging for now. Um, <laughs> and lots of people, there was lots of debate, actually, about it at the time, I remember, because I think lots of bloggers liked it and then lots absolutely hated it. Um, and I think even Susan Hill waded in and a few... Um, I'm I've, sure she did, <laughs> Um, for me, my main issue with it was kind of, as you mentioned before, it purports to be a book about the experience of, of just reading books that you have at home for a year and like the challenges of that. But actually, it's not about that at all. Um, it's just basically I personally found it a very annoying uh, collection of name dropping, essentially, um, and just very strong, not necessarily justified opinions about what people should and shouldn't read. See, this may be the book on which we are most divided because it was, yeah, it was my favourite book I read that year and I've reread it once or twice since. And I just love, um, in the same way that I love the bookishness of 84 Trancos Road, I love the bookishness of this, the way that I feel like I've been around her house where nothing is shelved in the right place. I feel like I've immersed myself in those bookshelves. Um, and frankly, I mean, if I was writing 
um, a bookish memoir, and I'd met the people she'd met, I'd name drop way worse. <laughs> I'd just constantly be like, oh, as I was saying to Marilyn Robinson over coffee, <laughs> I'd be insufferable. So, um, so I, I mean, she, she talks about meeting T.S. Eliot, about meeting Roald Dahl. So I find a very moving section where she talks about seeing Iris Murdoch. Um, and I just, I, I love that she's put those things in there. Um, but, <laughs> well, yes, I, I remember at the time, as you say, I, I read an advanced copy because I'd seen it mentioned on Victoria's um, Lit, Lit Love blog, uh, Tales in the Reading Room, and thought, oh, I should give that a go. And I was so certain that every blogger would love it. I thought, there's not, this is such a bookish literary delight that there's not a chance anyone would love it. And then, then the reviews came. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes. Um, yeah, I suppose you've already said why you don't like it, but are there, are there redeeming qualities for you in it? Well, not really, no. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Susan Hill's writing in the first place. The only book of hers I like is The Woman in Black. Everything else that I've read of hers, I have not been that fussed by. Um, what have and, you read? Um, in the springtime of the year, I, um, I just didn't like it, so it was boring. Um, <laughs> and this, and again, it didn't have the emotional gravitas that I wanted it to have. Um, and I didn't like, I've read a few, I can't think of all the names, I've read all the standards. Because um, I was like, you know, I don't want to just be somebody who takes a personal dislike to someone and then doesn't read their books and for no particular reason. Um, but no, I don't particularly like her writing style. And I tend to find, I just found that the whole book was kind of laced through with a sense of arrogance, which I just didn't, I felt her personality came forward very strongly in it. And I didn't like it. Um, and that's the first time I've really had that experience when I'm read, reading a book, thinking I actually don't like the, I don't like your attitude, um, and that poisoned it for me. Well, see, so the, the, I will concede there were definitely moments where I thought she was being a bit ridiculous. I, I was reading my blog review of it from the time, and she's she put something about girls read more than boys, always have, always will. That's a known fact, which I thought was a bit yeah. sweeping. And then there's, there's lots of comments yeah, that she makes yeah. like, that are like this is what I think and therefore it's a fact. And I'm like, well, you can't actually say that. Um, so I'm just going to get up my review now, actually. Oh, yes, let's compare reviews. <laughs> um, if my computer decides to play ball with Simon and I've just been discussing how rubbish both of our laptops are. We should do like a crowdfunding. I mean, please don't give us money, guys. That'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if some laptop company wants to sponsor the podcast, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I mean, some of her prejudices are ones that I share, I guess. So she's anti-e-books. She's, um, yeah. she's pro-unibliting being kept on the shelves, even though she's um, not very modern in her viewpoints. I did find there's a chapter where she talks about how ridiculous book plates are and how arrogant book plates are. And I thought, well, that's a curious thing to take a firm stand on. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But, but I don't know. I, I've, I'm a fan of the, the, the um, formidable Englishwoman, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I read Debo Devonshire's book, um, Counting My Chickens, and she, she listed all the things that she hated, and included things like female weather re- um, forecasters. And I thought, what, what, I don't even understand what your point is, but I kind of love that you have these strong and ridiculous opinions. It just gives character. I mean, like Helen Hanth is, it, has, is certainly not an unopinionated woman. No, that's true. But she kind of wears her opinions slightly, whereas I think... 
what I didn't like was it was very much like, this is what you should read, and this is what you definitely shouldn't read. And if you've read this, then you're kind of stupid, that kind of thing. Oh, I didn't get that. Um, oh, can you remember examples? Or are you, well, when your review comes out. <laughs> well, I, I've just tried to, I've finally managed to get it up. Um, let me have a look what I've said. My main bugbear seemed to be that I was bothered by the fact that she didn't talk about actually reading from home in any of the book. <laughs> I mean, that that's not not true. <laughs> we'll concede that. Um, and a lot of people just have a problem with that at the time, I think. I just sort of, was sort of just like, oh, I guess she didn't. It would have been nice if she had. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, like, she never actually talks about the time scale. So she never talks about the fact that it's a year. She never talks about how difficult it is not to buy a new book or to be divorced from what's currently going on in the reading world outside of, uh, of the books that she has at home. Um, and... Um, I was, I was really scared. I'm never normally this scathing. I must have hated this book. <laughs> uh, uh, everything that I'm writing. Um, I was like, Susan Hill's just written down everything she thinks about books and book publishing and famous people who write books that she may have met or bumped into or had things dropped on by. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, basically, yeah, and I said it was too much like a blog. I, said, I, I also said it was like that. a blog, but that was one of the things I liked about it. <laughs> Oh, and she says Canadian and Australian literature are dismissed as unreadable. And to be honest, I think what annoyed me the most is that she doesn't like Jane Austen. And at that point, I was like, well, that's it. We're done done here. That was something I found interesting in that she talked about every time she reads Jane Austen, blah, 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 which suggests that she keeps trying. She keeps reading her, keeps seeing what she's missing. I did, I did find it a bit troubling, but I can understand, well, I can't, I can see that some people might not like her, but I can't, I can't see a point for not admiring her, like especially as as, as a writer as Susan Hill obviously is. I, if she can't recognise that Jane Austen is a great writer, then there's there are issues there. But but again, I just I I like reading about opinionated people, even if I don't always agree with their opinions. I'd much rather she had these sorts of like this is good, this is bad, than sort of a wishy washy. All these things are fine, you know. It's, it just really annoys me if people are trying too hard to please everyone in a book. Which, as a people pleaser, is ironic, but, <laughs> but my, my again, hypothetical memoir will be far too people pleasing, although I will save an angry chapter for Iris Murdoch's To See the Sea. <laughs> okay, well, I'll look forward to that, Simon. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's the cra- Well, indeed, you can read my anger, more just my sort of confusion about it on my blog, should you wish, from some time ago. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, um, I think. You know, for me, I don't normally take such a strong dislike to things, but um, I think I felt very much that it was the kind of boss. It was a bossy book, I felt. Like, you know, if you haven't read this, or you should read this, and, um, you know, I'm great because I met this person once, and he dropped a book on my head. Um, <laughs> that actually happens. It, it does. Is that T.S. Eliot? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just thought, actually, I don't really care what you think. Like, I, you know, like, I don't see, and you know, like she puts that list of books at the end, like everyone must read these in order to be well read. And I'm like, yeah, but you just said that you don't like Jane Austen, so we fundamentally disagree on everything. <laughs> I'm not going to take, um, I'm not going to take this list as gospel at all. And I just thought that it's kind of smacks of arrogance that anybody could be like, well, these are the books that I say you must read. Um, <laughs> I should point out now that I have my 50 books you must read list on my blog <laughs> yes well no but according to Susan Hill nobody needs to listen to bloggers because they're not published therefore their opinions are not worthy of note <laughs> oh dear um, 
<laughs> doesn't like Jane Eyre and thinks Wuthering Heights is great, which, frankly, I'm sorry, but you've got to be insane to have that opinion. <laughs> yeah, um, I hope you see the irony of you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Her preferences make her mad, but as a... <laughs> make us... I'm right, she's wrong. <laughs> See, the thing is, Rachel, I think if you were to write this sort of book, you would also have strong opinions, and I'd love reading about them. Yeah, I would. I would have strong opinions. I would never try and be a people pleaser. No. Everyone would hate me, though. That's the thing. That would be, and I would be okay with that. And I feel like Susan Hill doesn't care what I think anyway, so it really does That's true. Whereas I would care deeply what anyone thought of me if there was this. I would be going from person to person, being like, well, what I actually meant by that book was... Say <laughs> <laughs> <Save> myself. <laughs> uh, um, I think both... Um, Helena then Susan Hill, it is the, the such forceful personalities and that definitely comes through in the books. And I think what you if correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is that for you you have to like that personality. Whereas for me I quite I think I just quite enjoy the force of the personality, even if I I mean there the there are personalities that I like when I read Diana Athills somewhere towards the end, um having previously really loved her book set about being an editor, I found her so annoying in Somewhere Towards the End that I really did colour how I read it. Um, so I think I'm not saying this is a general rule for me, perhaps, but when it comes to opinions about about particular books rather than opinions about morality, which is what what Diana Hills was more about, um, then I just I think I quite enjoy the forcefulness, even if I don't agree. Um, which I'm hoping is true for people listening to this podcast. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Not you know I think it's good to have strong opinions. Um, but I think there's a way of saying them. And I think I just found her tone quite abrasive, but maybe that I was being oversensitive, I don't know. I, may, I wonder if I read it again, I'd feel completely different, differently. But I think um, she does have... I mean, it may, abrasive probably isn't isn't a bad word. I think of it as just sort of like, you know, the way people... The, the Yorkshire plain speaking, you know, she's a Yorkshire woman, so that's how it comes across. But, um, and I must, I must confess, I did go and hear her talk about... I think about this book, or maybe just in general... Um, and was a little trepidatious because her, her erstwhile blog and this book were quite ferocious at times. But in, pl- in person, she speaks very mildly and very pleasantly. So it was quite a surprise. Um, but yeah, I guess. Oh, what do I want to say about this? That, um, did you feel like the sort of general love of literature and books helped at all? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. Interesting. Are there other books of this? I was so disappointed in it not being what I expected it to be. Because you went in with high expectation. Yeah, and I think the whoever subtitled the book, which I'm sure actually wasn't her, so I probably should blame the editor in charge, but it set it up to be something that it just wasn't. And so as soon as I realised it wasn't going to be the book I'd been led to believe it was, I was, abs- I was obviously cross about that. Um, and then that probably infected my reading experience. I think it would have been nice if, yeah, if it had been the book that, that it was set out to be. Um, there is going to be a sequel, hopefully. Oh, um, so um, it's called Virginia Woolf is in my bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I saw listed on Amazon ages ago. Um, and I, I tweeted her about it, such as the modern world. Um, and she said, yes, it's sort of a sequel, but it's only about women writers. And I thought, perfect. But um it, that was promised, I think, October last year and didn't happen. And um, so who knows if it will ever actually happen. But I'm very excited about it if it does. And maybe Take Two would work better for you. <laughs> well, that does sound interesting. I'd be willing to give it a go, that's for sure. 
Are there um, sort of bookish essays or memoirs of this of this sort that you would recommend instead of that one? I love Anne Fadiman's writing. Yes. Ex yes. Libris um, is wonderful. Yes, Ex Libris is wonderful. And um, I, do you know, I haven't actually read that many books about books. I do have a book about books at my mum's house that I've never read and I can't remember the name of. Um, it's oh, good, like, we'll hand that one down. <laughs> that one down um, I also, Marilyn Robinson has got a collection of essays about reading um, which are very interesting has she? Called, yes it's called When I Was a Child I Read Books see I got that collection hoping it would be about reading and then there didn't seem too much about reading in it no <laughs> so there's only a couple in there that are um, yeah. but I find everything she writes fascinating so I don't mind that um, and I'm just trying to think about anything, if I've read anything else about people reading books, but no, I don't think so. But I'm sure you have, because you're a real expert on this. Well, I mean, experts probably not, not right, but certainly enthusiasts, and it's, it's something I've been looking at a lot more in the past couple of years, where I've just been madly buying all the books about books I can find, it seems. Um, and I won't say too many, but um, uh, I can't remember if I talked about Phyllis Rose's The Shelf before, but that was my favourite book I read last year. It was about... Um, again, non-fiction. She decides to read all the books on a shelf in the in or on a particular shelf in a New York library. Um, oh. And it's basically, she she has various caveats about not having too many by the same author or whatever on the shelf, and eventually finds this particular shelf. Um, and so it's partly about what she thinks of those books, but also the, the journeys it takes her on. She she gets in touch with some of the authors. She um they lead her on to write essays more like things and how it's ended, it's on the landing, just about you know topics in general. Yeah. Um, and in, yeah, it's again. She's a woman who's got quite strong views, <laughs> but, um, and it's quite a forceful personality, I think. Um, but definitely, I think worth trying. I just, I love the idea of it in the first place, just that sort of um, aleatory idea of funny connections between these books, but also, um, yeah, just really interesting the different tangents it takes her on. Um, and she also wrote a book about reading Proust called, I think, My Year of Reading Proust, <laughs> perhaps. Um, yeah, so she um, she reads Proust in a year, and it's actually surprisingly little about Proust and more about her actual life. But again, I really enjoy that. Mm. Um, I have, in fact, a whole shelf devoted to books about books. It's <laughs> a very um, impressive yeah, to have yeah. books on. And I think it is lovely reading about other people's experience with books, but then I think, you know, like with Howard's Enders on the Landing, if you find, come across somebody whose opinions are wholly opposite to yours, then it's a bit of a struggle. Yeah, obviously the ideal is finding someone who agrees with you in all the things you have read and thus gives you many recommendations for things you've not read. <laughs> I like reading these sorts of books and be like, oh yes, this is exactly how I feel about everything and I get really excited that someone <laughs> like me. <laughs> so I read a collection by Michael Durdo, which I can't remember the name of now, um, that we don't agree on anything, it seems. He's basically, he just loves sci-fi, so all his things are about sci-fi. Um, and I didn't want to read any of them, but somehow I still really enjoyed reading his thoughts about books. <laughs> and occasionally there'd be one that I'd read or at least knew about. And I'd be like, oh, Michael, we're on the same page for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think just reading about enthusiasm about reading is all I need, it seems. Love <laughs> it. Wow. Now I need to find a book about books about books. That's the next step. Maybe you could write it. <laughs> We'd be an audience of one who would want to read it. <laughs> uh, but I guess, yeah, I mean, that's what blogs are in general, isn't it? Book, they're, just, they're essentially books about books, but online. <laughs> so, yeah. And we don't mind a blog. No. 
Not at all. Um, so I don't think I need to guess too wildly to find out which of these two you would pick. No. <laughs> but fill, fill in the gap for us anyway. Um, H4 Charing Cross Road would obviously oh. be my favourite. And you? Well, I really love them both, but I think I'm going to pick Howard's Ends on the Landing. Wow. Um, just because it's got maybe more enthusiasm about reading the actual books um, alongside everything else I loved about both both books. But yeah. yes, I would be very sad to part with either of them. Well, it's a rare occasion when we intensely disagree with each other. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, and maybe it will happen again next time when I have... well. Are we going for the next time for this where I have forced you to read a book against your will, it seems? I've got to find a copy of it first. Oh, that's true. Well, it's in all good bookshops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say it now, and if you don't manage, we won't do it next time. But uh, the next episode, or the one after that, we'll be doing um, The Love Child by Edith Olivier versus Lolly Willows by Sylvia Townsend Warner. And being not the easiest books to find, I guess, we'll give you a bit of advance warning to go and get them if you want to read along with us. Yes. Um, two of my favourite books so I'm very excited about doing them and Rachel are you excited about doing them? Very excited <laughs> My enthusiasm knows no bounds <laughs> I'll publish a series of whatsapps where you were uh, <laughs> giving in to my pleas I, but you'll love Lolly Willows I know you will Okay well you did say that about The Love Child and I didn't but you know of course I thought you did like The Love Child It was alright once I got past the weirdness Okay <laughs> but um, you know, yeah. I'll, uh... I'm sure you were more enthusiastic than that in your review. Was, back. I, was I? <laughs> I don't know if I was. Maybe I was out of kindness to you. Oh, that's nice. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But that's over now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for the first half, we'll be doing um, Keep or Cull, I believe. Oh yes, yes, Keep or Cull, which actually is very fitting because I've had an enormous clear out of my entire flat today, and a lot of books have, have been culled. Gosh, well, more on that and on. Oh. I'll leave you on that. Gripping. <laughs> There's a real cliffhanger, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, bye. bye.